One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Elowa, and welcome to this episode of Derek Draper's Space. We're going to be talking today about chapter one of your book, Create Space, Space to Reflect. Yeah, now, this yeah, falls yeah. under yeah. the first domain, which is creating space to think. Mm-hmm. I just want to read the opening lesson. Mm-hmm. Every chapter has a, a kind of core lesson at the very heart of it. And the lesson here is this. If you make the space to reflect on your decisions and explore more carefully what you were doing and why, you will free yourself to contribute to the very best of your ability. And to kind of illustrate this lesson, you have a story of someone you work with called Raku. Do you want to briefly yeah. give us an overview of that story? Yeah. So so what, what we should say is that all these stories are, are disguised, right? So they're, they're kind of real in the sense that I work with someone with this issue or a couple of people and I've merged them, but I, I'm not breaking any confidences in the book by talking about the person. Um, but Raku um, worked for a pharmaceutical uh, company, and she had always done really well. She was initially a scientist. She got promoted and promoted. She wanted to move into general management. She did an MBA to try and help her do that. But there was a problem um, with how she was performing, um, and her team were dissatisfied. Uh, and her boss kind of called me in and and. He'd given her a three out of five as her rating. And this this is a, a, a woman who, you know, had always kind of got A plus, A plus, A plus, you know, um, being kind of top of her class at Stanford and all that. And um, so she was very shocked. And he'd done it in a way to kind of bring, you know, to, to shock her into taking some action. Um, and he, he brought me in to kind of work with her around it. And what became apparent to me was that she, you know, at the heart of her issue was, was rushing, right? Um, and there's a concept in, in the, the book, um, which is a bit clumsy, but it, it's called core pathogenic belief. And it's the thing that we um, believe about ourselves or the world deep down, right? We sometimes don't even realize we think it. Um, and with Raku, for reasons to do with her family that I'll, I'll leave people to read, she thought she had to constantly be rushing in order to win right, and to keep up. Right. Um, and, and this translated itself into how she worked. So she didn't take time to stop and think. 
She didn't take time to stop and listen to her colleagues. Um, and for that reason, mistakes were being made, right? And so the big challenge with, with um, Raku was to get her to stop and slow down and actually realize the thing that, you know, my, my grandma used to say, which is like, you know, more, more haste, less speed, right? So actually, people think that if they rush, they're going to get more done. Maybe not, right? And, and I think not that actually what they should be doing is stopping and refraining. And, you know, because a job like Raku's was is so complex, right, and so difficult, um, unless you create the space to stop and reflect on what you're doing and why, what the effect of what you're doing is having on other people and the situation and the task you're supposed to be performing, then you will end up tying yourself in knots, which is what Raku did. And I think she is very symptomatic of our society as a whole. And that's one of the things I, I like about this story and why, why it's such a powerful story to open the book with, because, well, chapter one, not, not the whole book. But like you said, that core pathogenic belief came from her own personal background. But there's a cultural narrative as well yeah. around rushing and yeah, speed. Yeah, and we're recording this in London and London, L.A., although you can't rush anywhere in L.A., especially if you're in a car, mm -hmm. New York. <laughs> these cities are gridlocked with mm -hmm. people and activity mm -hmm. and busyness. I, yeah. I don't live in London, but when I come mm -hmm. up here, mm -hmm. I can feel that I just get faster. Mm -hmm. Everything gets quicker mm -hmm. and I get more impatient. Yeah. So there's a real um, relevance of this story, I think, even if you, you live in a village. Yeah. There's this sense of just needing to yeah. rush to kind of get through the day. The thing about Raku's management was her decisions were were not up to scratch. The yeah, quality wasn't right. as good as they could that's have right. been. And um, you you talk in the book, every chapter is divided into a story, and then you've got these this section on the kind of tools and mm -hmm. strategies. Mm -hmm. And you talk about Daniel Kahneman's work, thinking fast and slow. Mm -hmm. And what what else is uh, stands out to you from that chapter? As well, I I think that. Um... With with Raku, you know, we we did a um, a, a sort of a quick. Um, it's not really a test, right? A quick measure around two things. One was how she took decisions, and then what she did when she'd taken a decision. And 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 with Raku, she was very much on the in an axis from action and reflection. She was way into action. You know, so she's, again, rushing to do things. And then if they weren't going quite right, rushing to fix them, right, instead of really stopping and analysing and thinking. Ironically, of course, therefore undermining her own strengths because her key strength was her intellect, right? And, and yet because of this uh, need to rush and not think properly, she was actually sort of sabotaging her own uh, strength, right, which is why core, core pathogenic beliefs are so um, destructive, Right, because they actually wreck the good bits of you, right, uh, and exacerbate the the bad bits. So, you know, she was rushing to action on that axis, and then the other axis, and, and you can see this diagram in the book, is going from um, uh, you know, how do you make a decision, intuition and analysis, and and she was heavily into analysis. So she was trying to re, you know, her response to things going wrong was to try and get more data and think more. She wasn't tapping into intuition. Right, and and in Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink, there's a very beautiful and powerful argument for listening to our intuition, even if you're a scientist, right? And she'd moved actually from being a scientist to being a general manager, and she hadn't quite realised that that means that that balance between analysis and intuition and action and reflection kind of changes. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, she she you're right, she she had a 
uh, a typical problem and then you know but working with her and then the rest of that that this chapter on reflection is about well, how do you make time to reflect so there's a really um interesting thread running through the book around self-awareness mm. and i think for raku self-awareness is the the, the piece yeah. that was possibly that's right. missing that's right. and i'm a really big believer in the power and the role of self-awareness uh, in business because i think it is it is the thing that facilitates the ability to reflect and it's a kind of symbiotic relationship so the more you reflect the more self-awareness you have the more self-awareness you have the more space you make to reflect because you know the benefit of it how did that play into Raku and and what what do you build into the book in terms of suggestions to the reader well so the the book um breaks it down into four different uh subspaces if you like right there is the temporal which is how you make time to reflect right how do you prioritize it? How do you ring fence it? How do you keep to it? Um, and then there is uh, the physical space. Where do you reflect? Now, uh, one of the points that I make in the book repeatedly is that uh, where I'm from up in the north of England, there's a, a phrase as now as queer as folk, right? Um, and uh, in America, I think people say different strokes, right? So it's up to, it, it'll be up to you where the better. I mean, I know people, you for example, who will do reflection and work in a, in a coffee shop, right? I wouldn't be able to do it. I couldn't do it. I have to be on my own in, in silence, right? Um, and so you've got to work out what's what's right for you. Where, where, where do you want to reflect, right? And then there's the psychic space. So you've got to somehow shut out that incessant kind of noise and demands and not just from outside, but from inside, right? I've got 20 things to do. Well, yeah, but you've got to somehow put them to one side. It's because the book looks at some visualizations to help do that and then reflect and give time for this uh, insight to happen. Right. It's probably an apocryphal tale, but, you know, who was it? The apple fell on the head. I was at Newton. Right. If he had me sitting under an apple tree, everyone going, look at Isaac, you know, skiving off today. Right. And the apple wouldn't have fallen on his head. Right. And he wouldn't have had that insight. So you've got to create some space to have this reflection. You can't rush. This was the key thing about Raku. You can't rush reflection. Right. And then the fourth thing is about um, relational space. So who do you reflect with, right? And and again, the book argues that we're all going to be different, but we, we all need to do both, right? We need to have some introspection on our own and then maybe some chat and some extra extroversion with uh, other people and running ideas past and using people as a sounding board. Probably have to kind of do both. I mean, there's, there's some great... Um, examples in the book of people that I that I look to who um, who do this right so Jeff Weiner the CEO at LinkedIn blocks between 90 minutes and two hours each day for reflection and describes these buffers as the single most important productivity tool he uses and that's the point again right say oh I haven't got time to reflect I'm too busy no right you will achieve more more easily and be more successful if you create the time to reflect right? It's not instead of productivity, it's the basis of productivity. I love the story in the book about when you get into the lift after a meeting. Right. Can you tell us that? Yeah. So I was working with a very kind of, um, I don't know, a sort of youngish entrepreneurial, but very successful guy who had his own company. And he had a meeting and I I 
didn't think it had gone that well. And so when we got into the lift and the lift door closes, I said, oh, you know, what do you think about that? And he just held up his finger like that and went, shh, right? And then he closed his eyes and the lift went down. It was like, you know, 20 floors or something. And we got out and he said, just, just hold on one second. And he got out a little notepad he kept in his pocket and scribbled something down and put it back in and said, now, what, what do you want to say? Right? And I said, what was going on there? Because that's one of the things that you do as a, as a kind of, a leadership psychologist or a coach you're constantly saying you know what happened there what can we learn from that and and what he was doing was he was reflecting on what had happened in the meeting deciding what could have gone better and what he needed to do about it and jotting that down so he'd do it later when he had a moment right so for him interestingly there was a lot of in the moment reflecting that i talk about in the book right which is which is stopping just you know he didn't go into a room and, you know, sit cross-legged going on for an hour, right, with incense and all that. He literally closed his eyes and thought for a minute. And that was enough, you know. And it's that contrast again with the image of walking down the street on your phone or getting to a bus stop on your phone or being on the escalators on, you know, on public transport on your phone versus taking those 30 seconds to just pause and, and think yeah, and, and right. the value of, of right. that space. You propose a model in the book. Um, By the around way, just, just to go back go to that guy, what's interesting about him was most of us, if we've had a meeting that didn't go that well, we were consumed by the emotion of it, right? So we get in the lift with our colleague and we say, oh my God, that was terrible. We did that wrong or what? Well, he was a plonker or she was terrible, right? And to kind of chunter away about it, right? To get it off our chests, right? Well, it, it, that wasn't a productive use of time. So he was able to somehow quieten the emotion, which I'm sure he was having, but allow himself to reflect without that and without the interruption of me and come to his own conclusion, you know. And it sounds like that was a practice for him. Oh, I, he did it all the time. So I spent a lot of time with him, as I, you know, and, and we would get in the back of a car. He'd have a phone call and he'd put the phone down and stop and close his eyes and think and then scribble on this notepad. You know, so all the time he, he was asking some of the questions. I think you were about to start talking about the the, the, re, the reflecting cycle, right? And he was doing the reflecting cycle, you know, almost every time he did or said something, right? And I suppose the point I want to make is that that may not necessarily come easily to someone in the beginning when yeah. they start doing it. Absolutely. But because it was a practice, it was his way of being in the world and his that became natural to him. So Absolutely. I think that's quite important. That's right. to, so you that's might try right. and do it. You might get into a lift after a meeting and actually just be consumed by the emotion yeah. and want to project it or blame someone yeah. or find that your mind's just racing and you're not getting any clarity at all. Yeah. Um, so it, it is something that can develop over time. Yeah. Yeah. And like most things, you have to practice it, right? So if yeah, I was practice. coaching someone, I would say, did you do it? Oh, yeah, but blah, blah, blah. OK, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And roughly speaking, if you do something 30 times, it becomes a habit, right? So you have to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until suddenly it becomes second nature, which it was for him. And, and the point with all of these tools and strategies and approaches is that no one person is going to adopt all of them. Right. And you said that earlier, but I think it's a really important point to underline that you might just find the one thing That's that right. works for you. Absolutely. And that one moment where you create space in your day, whether it is, you know, w while you're in a cab or walking the kids to school or... Yeah. That, that's your thinking space, probably not while you're walking the kids. Well, the best, well, do you know, the best example I have, two, two people I work with, and, and, and when we were talking about reflecting, one of them said, I reflect when I'm, he, he, the, 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 both of the guys went to cycling, right? 
And one of them said, I reflect when I'm doing my cycling, right? I'm racing along on a country road and I'm having all these amazing ideas. I'm thinking back to what happened in the week. I'm thinking forward to next week. This other person, right, said, oh my God, the last place I would want to reflect is when I'm on my bike. I've zoned out into some other world or space, right? And I'm just zooming along. So you couldn't say to somebody, oh, you know, if you're uh, into cycling, you should reflect while you're cycling, right? Which would be a clumsy coaching thing. Because for one person, it would be brilliant. And for another person, it would be anathema. You know, so you're right. You really have to find what works for you. And that's why the book, you know, what I've tried to do is put a lot of practical things in the book in exactly the hope that people will go, well, I, I don't fancy that, but I'll try that. Journaling, for example. I mean, even being myself, I, I sometimes love to journal and other times I can't bear it. Yeah. So yeah, there are times yeah. when I feel drawn to a certain tool yeah. and there are times when, for whatever reason, yeah. that just doesn't fit well yeah. in my life. Yeah. Well, to contradict myself, right, <laughs> probably journaling is the one thing where I would say everyone should have a go at it, right? Because it's a very powerful mm. thing. Because if you reflect on how things are going for you, especially around your goals, right, every week and you write that down, even if it's two scribble lines, the treasure trove you have six months later when you go back and open that book and you see that journey or that false starts of a journey, it can be incredible. You know, so capturing your reflection somewhere, unless you've got an incredible memory, is, is probably pretty um, essential. And I think that, that, again, speaks to the nuance of all these tools, because in my mind, even when I was talking about journaling, I'm thinking of Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, where she encourages writing three pages of longhand writing, and you do it first thing in the morning, and you kind of empty your brain, and her theory is that that's what opens up and unlocks creativity. And that's what I was saying is at different times, that's really worked for me, and right. at other times, it right. just doesn't. Right. Nevertheless, though, I like the idea of just capturing that one thought. Yeah. And there's a lot of actual journals out there available where it does just ask you to capture that one thought a day. Mm -hmm. And again, yeah. it's about making it a practice. Yeah, yeah. Before we close, what I'd mm -hmm. like to do is look at this reflecting, oh, reflecting cycle, because yep. I think it's a yep. really powerful tool yep. and model. So uh, talk us through it, Derek. So, so it, the, the first thing is um, you ask yourself, what is going to happen, right? What, what, what is about to happen? What, what meeting am I going to? What project have I got? What conversation am I about to have? Right? What is going to happen? And then you ask yourself, and, and it, it's, only, it's only three questions, right? One, well, what do I think about this? Right. And you, you, so instead of just running into it and thinking, well, I'll be all right, I'll fly by the seat of my pants. You know, I've gone to meetings before. Just stop. And again, you don't have to be in your office. You, you could sit in your office for now thinking about it if it's that important. But you, you could literally walk, walk around the, the office, right, or go up and down, grab a coffee. And as part of your meanderings, think, OK, what do I think about this thing that's happening in five minutes, two hours, tomorrow, whatever it is? What do I think about it? Then how do I feel about it? Right, two very different questions, right? Um, you know, reflection in a sense is sort of, there was a, a great psychoanalytic writer who said it was thinking about feelings and feeling about thinking, mm. right? Which I think sums it up really well. So what am I feeling about it? What, what am I, I'm slightly dreading it. I, I'm, I'm bored by it. I wish it wasn't happening. Can't wait. Why? What's going on that's giving you that feeling, right? And how does that match with what you think about it? Because they might not match, right? Um, and then what could happen instead, right? 
So, so in other words, you, you've, you've almost kind of anticipated, visualized the, 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 this thing that you're reflecting on. And you can then think, well, how could I check? It's going to have that outcome. You know, if I don't prepare or if I go in and I'm tense or if I treat it too slapdash, what will happen? And what can I do different, right? Um, and then that's the pre-reflection. That's reflecting on something before it happens, right? And then there's post-reflecting. And it's the opposite, right? So what has happened? What, oh, God, what happened then? That meeting went very badly. Or oh, that meeting went brilliantly, right? And by the way, that's a very crucial thing. Don't just reflect on the bad things. Reflect on the good things, right? There's as much to learn there, right? What do I think about this? What do I think about what happened? How do I feel about what happened? And what could have happened instead? And then the, you're back to the top of the cycle, and it's what's going to happen, right? And that guy we were talking about earlier was doing that all the time, like 100 times a day, right? And again, it's about building that in so it's part of how you approach your working day so that you're not just that headless chicken rushing like That's right. a coup. That's right. Working That's right. with you, rushing from appointment well, to appointment and meeting to meeting. Well, my, my favourite quote ever, and I and I have to I have to caveat this by saying, I read this somewhere. I cannot remember where, and I have so far failed to be able to find it using the power of Google. Um, is Napoleon right? Who said when he was asked the secret of his success, said. I'm always five minutes ahead of myself, right? And I think it's a slightly abstract but amazingly profound idea. And, and, if, and if anyone can find the source of that quote and prove to me that I didn't just dream it one day, then I'll send them a free copy of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been really nice to, you talk in the book about metacognition, thinking about thinking. Yeah. I feel right. like we've been doing some meta-reflecting. We've mm -hmm. been reflecting about reflecting. Yeah. So it's been really enjoyable. Thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to joining you on a future episode of Derek Draper's Space. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Thank you. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.